You're listening to IT Market Buzz, sponsored by Copy Punch IT. Here's your host, Kimberly Duran. In part two of our interview, Ardith LB talks about how to grab your prospects' attention and lead them through the purchase process with ultra-contagious content. Let's talk about how exactly companies can create their own contagious content. So we'll dig into some of the chapters of your book. You have a great section about buyer personas. Can we talk about that? Sure. The reason that marketers have a hard time creating contagious content, as I call it, is that they don't know their buyers well enough. And so when you're thinking about a buyer persona, you've got to get much farther than just things that could get in the way. You've really got to flesh these out and create personas for each different segment. It's not good enough to say, okay, I have a a business executive persona and I have an IT executive persona. You've got to break it down further than that. Who are they really? What are their roles and responsibilities? We need to get to know them better. It's the only way you can write content. You also highlight how much buyers are really driven to maintain the status quo, which is related to what Sharon Drew Morgan was talking about in her interview and uh, how marketers forget that that's a huge factor in buyer decision-making. Nine times out of ten, you can say, I know they have this pain. This, this thing is, is an obstacle for them, and it's keeping them from achieving the business objective they could get to. The problem is, and most often, people create workarounds. They, they will do whatever they can do to not have to embrace big change. So if they can create a workaround that keeps them going and everything else, as far as they're concerned, they're fine. Until the pain becomes so bad or they see a tremendous reason to make change a priority, they're not going to do it. We are creatures of habit. Nobody likes to change. And what people don't consider are the different things, like Sharon Drew Morgan will talk around and all the, all the uh, different things they have to work out in their heads before they can buy your product. And sometimes it's not about your product at all. Sometimes it's about a lot of other things that have to be resolved before they even get to, okay, let's consider options. For me, the thing about buyer personas is people look at them and they go, okay, these are really hard to create. And then they look at them and go, okay, what do I do with them? And so what I came up with was what I call a buyer synopsis, which is actually the combination of a persona with a specific problem to solution scenario. So what happens with that is think about when you go out to solve a problem. First thing most people do is turn to search like Google or something, right? So you go out and you type in a query. What do you think about when you're typing in a query? It's generally a question in your head that you need an answer to, right? What I do with a problem-to-solution scenario is figure out, okay, what are all the questions that this specific persona would have that they have to work through in order to build the confidence and get to the point where they can make a confident buying decision? Buying is a confidence game, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in business when you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, you've got to be sure, you know, that that it's going to work out. In my buying process, I've, I've broken it down into stages, and at each different stage, people will have different questions. For example, in status quo, they're sitting in that place where, why should I care? And, geez, what will happen if I don't do anything at all? How bad could it possibly be? And then they say, well, I've got this workaround that, that's fine. We're fine, thanks. We don't need any help. So they, they go through <laughs> all these things. If you think about this, any answer to one of those questions, why should I change or what will happen if I don't, those kinds of things, that's content. That's a content topic. How would you write content to address and answer that question? Then as they move on, it becomes a priority and they go, maybe I need to look at this. This, this, 
this could be something we need to take action about. Then their questions become more about, okay, tell me what the industry trends are. Tell me what my peers and, and colleagues are doing. Oh, God, what are my competitors doing? God forbid they get ahead of me and, and those kinds of things. And then as they move into the research stage, they're asking what are best practices, things like that. And so if you really think about this logically and you come up with a list of questions your particular buyers might have about how to solve a specific problem, you can pretty much slot them right in and create content that answers those questions and develops a flow or a storyline, if you will, over time. And that makes using personas better. When you have the questions and then you go to answer them, you look at your persona and you say, okay, what are the things that are important to this persona that I can address in this content that will help build engagement and keep their attention? Let's jump to the buying stages and mapping content to the buyer stages. Do marketers sometimes make this too complicated? Well, they do, but I don't, I don't think they understand which content addresses which stages. So this is one of the reasons why I created the buyer synopsis, which is the Q&A, which helps you map that out and develop content that answers questions progressively as people move forward. Think about it. You need the answer. If you don't have the answer to why should I care that convinces you, you're not going to go on and say, I need to know best practices. I mean, why, why would you bother, right? That's one of the things that we need to pay attention to. The other thing is that in most companies, what I see is really late-stage content, if you will, or maybe they have some early educational content, but most of it is late-stage, like data sheets, solution briefs, white papers that are best practices-based, that kind of thing, because they're all focused on we need to sell. They're not focused on we need to engage and build a relationship. So marketers used to be responsible for generating leads, tossing them to sales, and then sales, of course, was focused on selling, so they wanted the data sheets, the solution briefs, the case studies, those things. Now the responsibility for content is much more, and we've got to really start with early stage, move to mid-stage. Mid-stage is often what's missing the most. A lot of the, the research and the sharing of expertise, companies don't know how to share expertise and do it well, and they're afraid, I'm not giving away my secrets, I'm not sharing, I can sell this for services fees, I'm not going to tell anybody. But the thing about it to get over is that you're, you're showing them the value of your expertise. Solving the problem generally, at least with the companies I work with in IT, is very complex, and you're showing them what the value is of them engaging a partner who knows how to help them through this instead of them having to learn it all through trial and error and do it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's a value there, but you never give them enough to do it themselves. You're not putting out how-to guides step-by-step. Step. Yeah, you mentioned that a lot of marketers are still paranoid about giving information away for free. And they're terrified of losing control of their information. Mm-hmm. I keep saying to them, why do you think you have it in the first place? Somebody wants to say something about your company, they're going to go tweet, post a discussion on LinkedIn, share something on Facebook, comment on some blog somewhere else, whatever. Why do you think you have control? You don't. (laughs) (laughs) They really don't. You can go publish content, whoever you are, anywhere you want. What you have to do is, is be willing to engage with people. And nine times out of ten, nothing bad happens anyway. I don't deal with a lot of clients that have to deal with a ton of negativity. I think that happens more to the big brands with a lot of visibility and that kind of thing. You have to be willing to let your message be embraced by your, your buyers and your prospects. can't control everything. And, and quite frankly, people that don't participate, they're going to find themselves left behind because their competitors are going to be providing the content buyers want. 
it's kind of a chicken and egg game. You've got to jump in and you've got to embrace it and you've got to learn and you've got to do. The thing that, that I always love is, is when I talk to companies and they say to me, our prospects already know they have this problem. We don't need to do early stage content. They already know, right? And I, and I say to them, great, who started the conversation and engaged them then? Now these companies have to come in and unseat those other people that have been talking to them to get in the conversation because they didn't start at the beginning. Interesting. Yeah, I just saw a quote from Paul Denae in his blog. I think it's from Paul saying, just because you're not participating doesn't mean you're not being talked about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I've gone into companies before and talked about social media and in relation to getting more traction for a nurturing program or something else. And, And companies have looked at me and said, oh, no, legal would never allow us to participate in social media. So I go out online and do a search and say, well, did you know 27 of your employees have Twitter accounts? (laughs) <laughs> you know, you got to embrace it and you got to figure out how to make it work in your favor. You have a great chapter about capitalizing on cause. Capitalizing on cause is looking at what motivates change. What are the different things that could happen that cause people to change from status quo? Your buyers, right? And, and you know their companies well enough to know, okay, these guys are scaling really fast. Look at all the customers they've added, and their system isn't going to possibly allow them to scale in sync, in parallel, to meet all the needs. And so now you've got a way to go in and talk to them. You have to start making intelligent assessments about what are the motivators, what can cause people to start thinking about change. Craig Elias calls it the window of dissatisfaction, which is that moment where it hits you that, oh, my God, we've got to do something. I say you need to get there ahead of that because you can see it coming down the pike. A lot of the problem is marketing is generally a small department. They don't have a lot of resources, and a lot of this stuff takes research. Once you create a buyer persona, you're not done. You have to keep listening and watching and updating and refining and seeing what works and those kinds of things. You're never done creating content either. It's this continuous evolution of stuff to fuel the process. I think that's the scary part, and I think it's like, how do you create a process to deal with all of this without going into overwhelm? Yes. Creating editorial calendars, so you actually have a plan. And if you go through and you do your buyer synopsis work and your Q&A and that kind of stuff, you can lay out, here's what kind of content we need to cover to answer all the buyer's questions to solve this particular problem. And then you go back and inventory your content and say, okay, this piece fits here, this piece fits here, here are the gaps we need to fill, and then you create an editorial calendar to plan your development, then because you need to have a lot of coverage, whether your prospects hit your website, your blog, whatever, what I tell clients is the best way to get the most ROI from your content development projects is to embrace the rule of five, is what I call it. What that means is you have a topic, you're going to create a content resource, you either need to create five different versions to use in different places or create five different ways to use that content. So we have Mm -hmm. to start thinking in multiples. How can we get a lot of value? I see a lot of companies that perhaps spend quite a bit of money to create a great white paper, and they promote it, and they have a landing page, right? And then after a while, the thing gets archived on their site, and that's it. They're done. Well, you know Mm -hmm. what? A white paper can provide you with three or four articles, right, that you could extract out of it, a couple of blog posts. It can be used as the basis for a webinar. There's a lot of different things you can use content for. The trick to it is if you have a plan for five uses for your content development around a particular 
topic or theme, you do all the research at the same time because you have a plan. You know you need it. So it makes it faster, easier, uh, less expensive to get these content assets created that you need. I want to jump to your chapter on urgency and how to actually get the attention of buyers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I call these catch factors. There are five of them. There's urgency, impact, effort, reputation, and intent. And urgency is focusing on, on your prospect's priorities. So what's important to them? Because I guarantee you if it's not important right now, if it's not one of their top priorities, but maybe it is in a month, they're not going to remember and come back and look at your content. They're not going to file your content away and then remember to go get it later. So urgency is critical in getting their attention. And then impact. What's the impact for them if they solve the problem? So how does it affect them, their career, their company, their ability to meet business objectives? But also on the flip side, what's the impact should they choose to work with you? So what do you bring to the table, right? And then effort is how hard is it for them to engage with your content? This could mean they click through on a link you send them, and then they're confronted with a form, which changes their whole orientation. They go, whoa, wait a minute, right? And then they have to decide, do I want to fill out the form or not, versus clicking through and getting immediate access to the content. The other part of effort is, is it written in a way that's easy for them to understand? Is it full of jargon and technical terms and all this stuff? Or is it written in a way um, that they can easily ingest it? Remember, people have attention deficit disorder. They're going to scan first and then decide whether they want to read. So you have to pay attention to how you format. You need to think about how much effort do they have to expend to interact with your content. And then, of course, reputation comes into play. And reputation is kind of, I call it the Google test. If somebody goes out and Googles you, what will they see, first of all? Number two is what have they heard about your company word of mouth? Because people we trust most are our peers, and with all social media, like you said, people may be talking about your company and you don't even know it. You have to think hard about what your reputation is, and you should be checking on that, doing some searches and set up some Google alerts and things like that to keep an eye on that. And then the, the fifth catch factor is intent. By intent, I mean what will your buyer think you want from them? Are you trying to be helpful, or are you saying, I want to sell you this? Especially in a B2B complex sale, you're not going to sell anything with an email. So you've got to focus on one thing at a time. What's the whole point? What do you want them to do? And it can't be buy. It has to be click the link, attend the webinar, whatever. But you have to think in incremental steps. What's the one thing you want this marketing communication or a piece of content to accomplish? And work on that. Move them forward. You have to plan things to move people forward. If they're just passively reading, they're not doing anything, right? So you have to keep planning for how do you get them to take next steps in their thinking and their actions in their interactive level with you. How much mind share are you building? Meaning when they first started with you, they spent maybe 30 seconds on reading a content article. And now they spend two and a half minutes. The last thing on the, on the catch factors is you don't have to have all of them in every piece of content, but you need to have at least, I'd say, two. You need to, to have some kind of combination of these. Effort is the one to focus on. Effort and urgency are two of the key ones, really. You need to have some of these elements in your content to help you create that level of attention and keep it. Do you have any practical insights into the common problems that marketers are experiencing with marketing automation? Well, misconceptions around marketing automation are generally by the system and it will fix everything. There have been some research studies done where a majority of marketers, if I remember correctly, say that they're using 50% or less of the features of marketing automation. 
mm. which means basically they've spent money to buy marketing automation and they're using it as a glorified email sender. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and part of the reason for this is that they don't take the time to create the foundation and the process that they need to have in place to be able to utilize all of the things that marketing automation makes possible. For example, creating a lead scoring model and really thinking it through based on personas and based on buying stage behavior. Um, they don't involve sales to really get a definition of what is a qualified lead from sales perspective. Marketers may say, hey, look, this guy read 15 white papers and three articles and attended two webinars. He's got to be hot. Send him to sales and sales goes, this guy will never be our customer. What are you doing? And so you've got it. The two must meet. You know, marketing and sales have to define this. It's amazing how many companies do not have that agreement. And a lot of times when I go in and start working with customers, I say, well, let's get sales in the room and get some validation that our personas are right and that, that we know exactly what they want so that they will accept the leads when we give them to them. And they say, oh, we know what sales needs. And I say, well, can we still talk oh. this way? And sales comes <laughs> in the room, and I guarantee if I have marketers give me a list of five top things that sales wants, maybe one of them is on the list. <laughs> So, you know, uh -huh. I mean, there's, there's a big separation here of, of church and state, if you will. We've got to get together and, and really refine this so that marketing is working towards achieving the goal of giving sales leads they can actually pursue and close. I just want to insert a shout-out to our interview with Sharon Drew Morgan and with Jill Conrad and also with Christopher Ryan, the author of How to Create an Unstoppable Marketing and Sales Machine. Those are related to the issue of how to get sales and marketing working better together. So continue. Oh, hugely important. That's one of the biggest mistakes. But the other one is really marketing automation, and this is where you know, marketers just don't know. They're used to doing these one-off sends, like, okay, the second Tuesday of every month we do a nurturing send, and it's whatever we have on hand or the latest white paper or whatever. It's with nurturing, um, which is really what marketing automation enables. You've got to build a story over time, and the content has to keep expanding and, and moving through that storyline, so answering all those questions your buyers have, right? Well, if you put one-off marketing touches into marketing automation, it's not going to work. You won't know what you're looking at. One send has huge click-through and another send falls flat. and another send, You're not building any momentum with a one-off send. Marketers don't really understand how to build that storyline, that flow that's going to continue to get forward momentum from prospects because you're helping them answer questions and tell, telling them how to take next steps. People really need to be told. They don't know what to do next. If they'd solve this problem and they knew how to do it, they wouldn't be reading your content. They'd be out solving the problem, right? So <laughs> your prospects have probably either never solved the problem they're faced with solving before or the last time they did it was three or four years ago and everything has changed and they mm -hmm. need to be re-educated, re right? We've got to really think about what, are, what is our content supposed to accomplish. Marketers are doing what they've always done when the, the buying landscape has changed. And it all goes back to how well do you know your buyers. It really does. You cannot create these programs unless you know your buyers. I wanted to touch on what you're currently working on. Well, I'm doing a really a lot of work with helping companies understand all these differences and the nuances and the things that change from manual marketing to automated marketing and embracing how to create compelling content, contagious content that, that really produces some results. Marketers now have to be accountable for their contribution to downstream revenue. So I'm doing a lot of work about that. The other thing that I've been asked a lot about, and I'm, I'm uh, 
taking some downtime this fall to start creating a coaching and training program because oh, awesome. I can only go do so much work in so many companies. There's only so many hours in a day. And what I really want to do is teach people how to do this for themselves. So I'm going to create an online coaching and training program that will be interactive, personal time with me, as well as homework and actually working on their true content programs. The idea will be that you can come and sign up and work your way through buyer personas and creating content and work on the actual assets that you would use in a program as a corporate marketer. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so not just a class where you come and do the homework and then you got to go back to your company and recreate it yourself. That's what I'm hoping to pull together and launch by the new year. Well, Artis, I've used up my time with you. I'm so glad you could be our guest, and thank you so much for sharing your ideas with us. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You have been listening to IT Market Buzz with your host, Kimberly Duran. Please visit our sponsors at www.copypunch.com.